Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascendant Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com. Hey guys, Omar Khan here with Beta Trading Co. I wanted to tell you about episode 124 of the Breakthrough Podcast. We currently have a special offer for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. We're offering a free one hour live training session where we show how to instantly add stock options as a new income stream. Now I've used this myself personally over the years to create a sizable real estate portfolio for myself and there's no reason you can't as well. Cool thing is it only takes about 30 minutes a day. So if you have a job, or if you have a business or you're just spending a lot of time with your family, you're gonna have time to incorporate this in your life if you take the time to learn this, okay? now. We're also offering a 15 minute free consultation to discuss how our option strategy can work with your current investment strategy and really take your investment to the next level, okay? So for more information, check out 30minutesdoctrader.com forward slash breakthrough to join us on our free live training, our next webinar. Remember again, episode 124, where Sandy and I go over exactly how I use this strategy to acquire a large real estate portfolio for myself. And there's no reason why you can't as well. See you there guys, talk soon. If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Hello and welcome back everybody. Thanks for being here again today. We really appreciate all of you taking time out of your busy, busy schedules to come and join us. Um, those of you that are doing it live right now can see us on Facebook and you have the opportunity to jump in there on the chat and ask any questions that you might have either to myself or Sandy or our guests. Speaking of Sandy, there he is right there. How's it going, Sandy? Hey Rob, awesome. Happy to be back again for another great one. And uh Excited to get into it. We've got a great interview lined up. Uh, obviously, if you're watching, you can see uh, see our guest here standing by, and uh, we will get to her in just a moment. And before that, I guess we want to always recommend everyone to go over to our website, BreakthroughRAPodcast.ca, grab our uh, free gift there. They can subscribe to our uh, our email list so you never miss out on a show or anything else we got going on, uh, property tours, webinars, whatever we're doing. Uh, you won't miss a beat if you get onto that and you'll get a copy of our free report, the ultimate strategy for building wealth in real estate. Absolutely. And uh, there's a bunch of links there and you can, you can uh, reach out to the guests through the website and um, you can hop onto our social media, all that stuff over there on the website, breakthroughreipodcast.ca. And of course, everyone, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. That super duper helps us and we're doing so well and we appreciate everything that everyone's done so far. So even if you uh, maybe have like some some uh, suggestions for the show, we appreciate that too. If you have um, suggestions for topics you want to hear, then just go over there, hit us up, leave us a rating and review, and uh, and um, you know we'll be sure to uh, try and hit on everybody's interests and what they want to hear about. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, that's a lot of housekeeping. Anything else? Well, what do you got coming up? You got any live stuff coming up? Uh, good question. <laughs> we're doing a, we're going to do something, actually get a couple of webinars coming up. If they look me up online somewhere, I'm sure they can find it. We're doing something on 
Uh, probably if you're listening on audio, you might have missed it already. We're doing some stuff in December that are around uh, investing in different locations, different cities. Uh, we're going to do a bit of a kind of southern Ontario sort of kind of going over some different markets. Hamilton, Kitchener, Lon Kitchener, Waterloo, London, probably Barry, maybe out your way, Rob. I don't know. We're going to do a few different different areas and kind of hone in on what's happening in these different markets. So they could, people can look forward to that. I think they should subscribe for our, our email list and 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 probably connect with us in all the ways that we mentioned already so that they don't miss out on those things. That's right. Maybe we should hire a hype person to come on here and talk about our stuff. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Anything else coming up for you? Um, you know, we just got the property tour once a month. Um, they're still virtual right now, but uh, you can see the kind of places that we're looking at, why we're looking at them, you know, the pros and cons of the different types of either student rental or duplexing um, or um, basement suites, that kind of thing. And yeah, like again, like Sandy said, it's just go onto our email list and you'll see when and you can join in and not miss anything. So yeah, absolutely. I don't have dates either, so I can't criticize you. <laughs> well, I know you do a lot of the property tours virtual or otherwise, so people should definitely jump on those because I know you do a lot of them and they're pretty good value for people that want to get their feet wet and kind of learn how hands-on, how you're doing uh, your thing in the different markets. You're uh, you're navigating through Peterborough, Oshawa, all, all at the east end of uh, Toronto, right? Yeah, it's once a month we're doing them. And I'm, let me tell you, there is tremendous opportunity. The kind of opportunity you don't really see anywhere else, especially in that Peterborough market. I think, anyways, and if someone wants to maybe get in touch with me and I can tell them why, please feel free. Email on the screen. Of course, we go over how to reach us at the end of the show as well. So I think that's it, man. I think we've done our housekeeping for today. All right. Thanks for that. And we will uh, bring in our guest here. So our guest today, Sarah Larby. Uh, Sarah specializes in helping make the or take the mystery out of home ownership for Canadians who thought real estate investing was going to be out of reach. She's earned their trust and respect by having the drive and focus to embark, build and grow seven-figure, uh, 10 plus property investor portfolio by her mid-30s, all while being uh, fully employed, working full-time, and she's been able to now exit her job uh, as of this year, um, after just seven years after buying her first property. So uh, I guess pretty exciting uh, there is, I guess, kind of claim to fame is retiring in your early thirties um, and getting out of the rat race, which is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah. It's given us the opportunity to have this uh, interview with you because I know we've tried to schedule it for quite some time and just weren't able to, because you were balancing all that other stuff. Yeah. Cause you do them on Wednesdays and I'm like, well, I work a nine to five <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then we reconnected. I'm like, well, as of October 1st, I'm done. So let's, uh, let's schedule it in. Absolutely. And I remember meeting you at the Canadian Real Estate Wealth Investor Forum, probably it, it might have even been like seven years ago. I don't. It, it was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've come so far since then. So let's get into this. Sounds um, good. I guess let's just for those of you, uh, for those out there who haven't um, been listening to your podcast, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a little bit. Let's talk about how you got started in real estate investing. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it was back in 2011-ish that I went to the bank with Matt, my uh, my spouse. We've been together 14 years now. And the financial advisor at the bank was asking us uh, about our liabilities and our assets. And she was doing like just this review of our financials with us. And it was uh, a good wake up call because I didn't even know what an asset or a liability was. And we literally had no assets and a bunch of liabilities. And we had been working for a while. And, you know, not that we were doing horrible in terms of our income, but we had nothing to show for it. So went home and like literally how it got started is me Googling and spending my Saturdays Googling how people become wealthy, how to build assets, how to retire early. And then I just became super focused in it. And then real estate kept coming back over and over as a solution that so many people have, have done successfully. And I'm like, okay, well, let, let's try it. And I've always been an action taker, which has helped, uh, you know, to some extent. And uh, in 2013, it took a couple of years to convince my boyfriend to do it. Uh, he was worried about the tenants and, you know, not paying and trashing the place. So we kind of got over that a little bit. 
And then 2013, we literally bought the cheapest thing that we can afford and, uh, you know, cashed out some of my, you know, vacation uh, commission or money to be able to like put towards the down payment. And then we kind of just snowballed from there. And uh, built that up to uh, a pretty good portfolio now enough to retire. So we've obviously uh, done it the right way. And I'm sure we can get in a little deeper on that story because um, a lot of people have that dream or hope or desire in life and not a lot of people actually I mean, retire, retire is a, a, you know, we quote unquote, it's, it's not like I'm going to do nothing for the rest of my life, but now I can focus on the stuff that I enjoy doing, you know, keep scaling to that next level and, and create new goals where I'm not tied for 40, 50, 60 hours making somebody else rich. Yeah, exactly. So what strategy do you use in your real estate business? Have you used the same one since the start or uh, how's that changed or what strategies have you used? And tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, originally we just started with buy and hold because I didn't know a whole lot. And I thought it was like, you're either a landlord or you're a flipper. And there's, I mean, there's so many more real estate strategies, but you see the stuff on TV or you hear on the news, the landlord stuff. And I'm like, well, I can't do anything when it comes to renovations. Uh, And this is how much I didn't know. So we're going to just go ahead and and buy, you know, something that's fairly turnkey and just do some very, very minor upkeep to it. And uh, our first tenant was my sister-in-law because, you know, again, we wanted to, you know, do this. We thought the, uh, the most easy way, but I'll tell you, don't rent to family. It just, you know, unfortunately backfires. Um, But, you know, so we started with with buy and hold and then you know we we realized that it was not helping us get there as fast so over time what we did is just switched over to the birth strategy where you're actually renovating not me um but you know we hire it out or we're, we're contracting it out um and then you know the birth strategy really allowed us to be able to refinance that capital that we've created that equity that we've created and then redeploy it into uh, the next deal. And, you know, over time, what I think has helped me uh, increase the cash flow and the ability for me to, to say I don't need to still have a full time job was a, you know, we didn't have any joint ventures. So everything that we're bringing in is 100% ours. Um, and then we've switched some of the tenants over. So I specifically screen tenants so that they don't have uh, a need for a, a forever home and they have a goal to like move out at some point within two to three or four years so that you can bump up the rents and that's helped a lot. And then switching some of the properties over to short-term or medium-term rentals and having those furnished to, to boost the cash flow even more. So I, I think a combination of the burst, burst strategy and then converting some of the units to shorter term um, and also switching the tenants from, you know, a lower paying tenant. Once you get, you know, the market runs back up, your cash flow, it helps uh, that much more as well. Was your plan always to, uh, was the plan to retire or get, get out of the rat race sort of thing? Was that always like the goal? Was that from day one, that's part of the mission and, and kind of the the plan that you had set forth and how to get there? Was that a, a big well thought out plan or was that just kind of, kind of just played out? I always wanted the freedom. I did not believe in working for 40 years and retiring on 40% of what you used to make. That just is the big, you know, they say that's the biggest scam and it, and it really is. Um, and and I, I wanted my time back. So, you know, to give somebody 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Uh, and I will tell you, like I, I left the last job I had. Um, it was amazing, but it was still a job and it was still not working for me. And I'm, you know, just making the salary as an example. So it, it was always the plan to be able to like live in with more freedom and to be able to do more and to be able to like take control back of my time. So that's always been the plan. Um, you know, ironically, it was during COVID that I paused and looked at everything and realized I could do it. And I was like sitting on my dock. I remember this um, in, you know, back in, I want to say April, May, when everything was first starting. And then I was looking at my financials and I was looking at, you know, the, the next steps. And I I was burnt out. Um, you know, before COVID, I was working some insane hours. And then in addition to the podcasts and in addition to the right club and everything else, um, it was a good time for me to be like, I've actually, I, I'm in a spot right now where I don't need to keep doing this. Like this is, I'm doing real estate to be able to take that freedom. And, and so I make, I made the decision. And what happened is I, I called my mortgage broker because you don't want to make that too quickly. And we've refinanced what we, we could, because it's a lot easier when you still have a T4 income to be able to do that, that refi and, and just get everything positioned. And so that was, 
uh, a three to four month process because the refis, I mean, everyone was doing them uh, at the beginning of COVID and it was just a lot longer and I had to fight over a couple of them. And then I told my my uh, my work boss and gave them, you know, it's, it's always for me, you know, they've always had my back. So it was important for for me to leave on the best terms. So I gave them I think I told my my boss originally in June or July um, and I basically gave them that time until October 1st to leave. So and were you in the type of job too that had really strict time constraints or were you kind of I know some people say they worked you know, pretty steady, but you know, maybe your sales type role where you're out and about and being able to be out in the field a lot. What what type of, you know, there must've been some hurdles there in, in work, obviously putting a lot of time in beyond just your day job in terms of, you know, investing, going, finding houses, all that stuff. How were you able to do all that? Yeah. I mean, you know, it was always important for me not to, to do anything that's not work related or, or my job between that eight to five timeline, it just didn't it just didn't feel right. Um, but I, but just to give you a little bit of background, I've been in sales my whole life. I was a sales manager and I was managing uh, a team in Ontario and I was overseeing uh, Montreal and I was overseeing Vancouver when I left. But prior to that, I did a lot more traveling, um, you know, back and forth, you know, Montreal, uh, BC, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So there was there was a lot of traveling involved. Um, and I think over time, like how I've been able to do it was just figure out the process and build the team and just become like a master delegator. Like I will delegate everything even from my grocery shopping and cooking. So like removing all of the chores, all of the things that like can take up time so that you can focus on your job. And plus like just the big stuff that will help you get to that next level is really what I try to focus on rather than the small things and the small things I would just figure out who can, who can do them and who can do them efficiently enough so that I can free up my time. Can we go back really quickly and just cover? Um, so I, I think that that BFRR or burst strategy or whatever you want to call it has very been very very powerful for a lot of people that listen to this show. Especially, I think the people that are starting out are, um, you know, typical people with nine to five jobs and not a lot of extra money. So uh, understanding that I think is uh, pretty important. So do you want to just go through like how that's worked for you and what it is? I guess first of all. Yeah, essentially the birth strategy, buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. Um, so I've, I've done it both ways. I mean, I, I think first and foremost, like, and you guys are, are realtors yourself, but it is really important that you work with a realtor that understands investing and understands the strategy that you want to do. And that is local as well. Um, that was huge because they were able to, you know, as we got, you know, into property four and five and six, go in and view properties for us. And if they were good enough, we would make an offer and then we, it would be conditional on like home inspection or something. And then we would go see it. If we don't like it, then whatever it cost us 400 bucks or, or whatnot. Um, and we've been able to get some really good deals, like some, you know, potential deals that we wouldn't have got otherwise if we didn't act quickly. Um, so, so building that team uh, was super important. And then in terms of the renovation piece, um, I mean, I think it's a blessing in disguise that I literally cannot do any renos um, because I, I want to work on the business and not in the business. But, you know, originally we were actually lucky. Um, Matt's dad was is really handy and he was always getting laid off work. So we were actually able to hire him um, and pay him just like an hourly wage. And he was able to help us. Um, and as we as things got more complex and the renovations got more complex and we, we hired, you know, more people, um, we used to self and I say we, um, you know, Matt is is helpful, but he's not like as in in into real estate as I am. Um, but he's been there along the way. I mean, we've been together for a, a, a while. Um, but, you know, it's gone from a lot of self-managing the trades and figuring out, okay, we need a floor guy, we need a kitchen guy, and then just piecing it all together um, to the point where, you know, you, you have some really good contractors that you that you trust that do a good job. I mean, this last pro, uh, project I just did in Burlington, I was living at the cottage. It was during COVID, I was living in the cottage for three months. I maybe saw that property three times um, because I trusted them. That you know they did a great job. Yes, it's a little bit more expensive, but um, it's a lot more hands off. And then you know the other piece of that, I will I will say one of the things that helped me a lot was creating a tenant screening process and ensuring that the right tenants come into the properties. Um, because especially if you're listening to this and you're in an area like an Ontario or something that is very geared towards tenants, that is your only control that you have. So don't skip over that part 
I've created like this whole five step like screening out process. Um, and, you know, it's it's worked so so far. I mean, we've always like we've we've made a couple mistakes early on where we um, decided to give chances to a couple people that were like kind of red flags didn't really work out. Um, you know, it wasn't a disaster, but I don't think we would do that again. But over time, you're going to firm up that process. And then in terms of the refinance piece, um, I'll tell you that not every single burr that you're going to do is going to be a slam dunk home run where you're going to get all your money back from your reno and your holding and your down payments. You might have half of your down payment still left in it, right? I'm still okay with that. So like one of the things that um, has helped a lot was just keeping a pulse on the market when work with your realtor um, to see, you know, what the comparables are every three to six months. And if, if it makes sense to, to pull the rest out six months, 12 months later, after you're, you've done your first refi, you could always refi a second time. Um, and just keeping a, a good pulse on that market over time has helped as well so that you can unlock the equity. Just make sure that you still cash flow, of course. Um, and then essentially, you know, just keep keep your goal in mind, keep your plan in mind, and you know, don't. It's for me, it's not about acquiring like a thousand properties. It's just about like creating that freedom that I want. So there is absolutely a lot going on there, and uh, you know, a lot for people to learn. I don't think we could touch on everything um, to the deepest level where we need to in in the hour that we have with you today, but. Um, there's been something that you've mentioned twice already, and that's tenant screening. And you did mention the first time how you, and I thought this was really interesting, how you sort of set them up to be the ones that aren't going to stay there forever. And I think that that's really insightful. Can you share with us why and how you would do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I will, I will give Ontario as an example. Again, every province is going to be different. And if you're listening to this from the US, it's going to be different there too. But in Ontario, anything that was a, a current unit before 2018, before November 2018, is subject to rent control. Anything after that, that was not a living space before is not. So a lot of the houses I'm buying are like 80 or 100 years old. So they are going to be rent controlled, which means that the government essentially dictates how much every year you can increase your rents by. And it's like peanuts. It's like 1%, one and a half, you know, 2%. Um, next year is going to be absolutely nothing. You can thank the government for that. But, you know, th that's 20, 20 bucks a year, 30 bucks a year. It's, it's not much. So it is important to find tenants um, that are going to be moving or have a goal to buy a house or, you know, may not stay there forever. Because if you can only raise your rents by that 1% to 2% a year, but your market rents, because of immigration and because of the lack of, of housing, and we have such low vacancies, the market rents over a year could go up 5%. It can be up, up to 10%. They could even be up more in some markets. So at some point, your, your market rents are going to be going up a lot more, and then you're just really creeping up uh, in terms of what you can raise. So once they get out, I mean, there's... Most tenants have have left. I have one one left. As soon as she's gone, I'm getting another. You know, I, I can raise it another five hundred dollars, um, and that really helps because when she's in there, I mean, they're great tenants. We love them, but you know, when she's in there, I, I can't really say I'm going to raise your rent back to market rent. It's not technically legal, um, but as soon as she's she's out, which you know, hopefully it's soon, um, then you can raise your rents again to what market rent is, which is quite like in, in Ontario, it's just, it's gone up quite drastically just because of the shortage and the low vacancy. And then it's not happening. It's not going to change anytime soon. I mean, we're looking at the immigration numbers. I mean, that's 400,000 Canadian immigrants. I think that they're planning for next year, 250,000 of those will likely come in the GTA-ish area within an hour or two radius. So like, it's not going to be any slower. If anything, it's, I think in my opinion, market rents are going to pick up. Yeah, I agree. There's tons of <laughs> Southern Ontario, especially different in depending where you are and maybe even different in like downtown Toronto, given some of the weirdness going on, but that's probably short term. And yeah, some great opportunities still there. Do you do a lot of, um, is there a lot of your deals on your own? Do you do joint venture deals? A lot of people do the Burr strategy and they pair that with raising money with joint ventures. Do you do that as well? Or has that been a part of your process or plan? Part of what I wanted to do for me personally, and not that there's anything wrong with doing it one way or the other, I am going to do joint ventures now. Um, but it was important for me to build my nest egg properties. It was important for me to build something that I had full control over and I didn't have to share any profits. I didn't have to share any cash flow. And I, and I'll tell you that, you know, if you can do it by yourself, do it by 
yourself. If you won't or you can't for whatever reason, you can JV. But for me, it was just important to have that built first um, and you know, to be able to have full control. Now, I'm going to be joint venturing moving forward. Um, that's fine. But, you know, if you can, like my just my advice to people, guys, is if you can do it by yourself and you will do it by yourself, maybe just hire a coach. It actually might cost a lot less in comparison, in my opinion. Well, 50% of, of however many properties or, you know, maybe it's maybe you can do less than 50, but you, kind of standard or normal kind of split there, 50-50. Yeah, that's a lot of money over the years, right? As, as it builds up and the appreciation adds on and it's a lot to give up in a deal. Um, if you can do it on your own, I agree hundred percent. And then you have people, people too that like will scale to a hundred, right? And usually they'll have, they'll have joint ventures. So you can just kind of look and see what your goals are, what your portfolio is like, you know, in a way, if you, if you don't have JVs, sometimes it's just simpler, right? You don't have to run anything by anyone. You want to refi, you go refi. You want to use the cash flow to do whatever you want. You can do that too. So, um, you know, I, I'm big on, on, on control. However, I will say if you are not going to pull the trigger, if you are not going, if you need the financing or you need the money, like find somebody that might have what you don't have and go that route. So I'm not saying don't do a joint venture, but what I'm saying is, is if you can do it by yourself first, that's in my opinion, that's just always the first best option. Yeah, I'd agree. Get in the game as well. Take action and get in the game. If you need to join venture or bring in some form of partnership, then do it. But um, I agree. Hundred percent of a of a deal is at the end of the day. If you can get get that to be a part of your uh, your plan, that makes a lot more sense. It's a lot easier to manage long term. There's one less partnership there to, to really consider, right? Mm -hmm. How do you evaluate uh, real estate deals generally? Like, what are you looking for in a deal when you're looking or you're having a realtor go out and look for, for you on your behalf or you're, you know, w what does that process look like? And where do you find your deals? Because, you know, I know you've bought a good amount of properties over the years. Are they off market, on market, um, wholesalers? Where are they coming from? Yeah, so far they've actually been on market, um, but within usually a couple hours of hitting market. I mean, you can find some stuff off market too, but I, I will say some off market stuff, like you still have to do your due diligence because even though you've got a wholesaler bring you a deal, it doesn't always mean that it's, you know, face value. Like you, there's <laughs> sometimes they, they up what the, the actual ARV might be. So there's always your due diligence that you've got to do, but they've all been, they've all been on market. Um, a lot of them have been estate sales. A lot of them have just been like really ugly dated properties. Um, and then just in terms of how I, I evaluate, I do have a, you know, a, cal a calculator that I put together for my burrs. Um, but essentially, you know, I want to be able to pay back uh, after, with the after repair value, all of my um, reno and holding costs and, you know, half to three quarters minimum of my down payment. Um, so that's where I'm looking at it. Like, there, yes, I, I've done some where I've pulled out everything and then made profits. But like, realistically, those aren't, you know, everywhere. And, uh, it, you know, and, and if you're looking for that home run deal, well, it's going to be far and few between. So try to hit, you know, first base, second base, third base with some of those. Um, and, you know, you can always refinance a second time, pull the rest out after, you know, another 12 months if, if the, you know, if the prices have risen and, and allows you to do so. Uh, so we got someone asking about uh, the refinance process there. When you do the refinance portion in the in the burst strategy, are you doing that through a conventional lender? Um, has that changed at all, or is it private lending? Uh, are you getting through a corp? What's that look like typically? I've done mostly just through regular bank lending um, because we, you know, one of the reasons I've kept my job and I've kept it for so long as well was just because it was easy to qualify. Um, but most of them actually have been with a lenders. One has been private and I'll tell you, you know, even though you or I may be qualified for that next property, if the property is in really bad shape or is missing a kitchen or it's like not livable, regardless if, you know, you qualify or not, you're going private because no, lender, institutional lender is going to touch a house that's not livable. Um, so it is important to have a private lender nearby. And I'll tell you, money is easy to find. That's, you know, that's not the, the piece that you need to be so worried about. I mean, especially right now, a lot of people are looking to loan out their money. Um, but most of it has been because it's been just dated and ugly. I've been able to get, you know, to, to get regular bank lending with that. Um, and then the other thing I would want to add, though, is if you are doing the Burr strategy, make sure that your mortgage broker, hopefully you don't go to the bank for many reasons, but try to work with your mortgage broker. 
and let your mortgage broker know what you want to do in the timeline, because there are going to be some lenders if you do um, get financing with certain banks, as an example, that don't like to refinance within that 12 month mark. And some other ones might be OK with a three month uh, refinance. So it is going to be important that you you talk through the plan and the deal, because if you're with the wrong lender, you know, that that could be. Uh, more expensive for nothing. And you may have to wait that extra time before you refinance and take your money out. So uh, work through that go variable. Obviously, you don't want to fix rate because that's going to be a, a lot of money to, uh, to break uh, in terms of fees. And if you do plan on refinancing, variable rates are always easier. And work through uh, and work through like a plan of not just this property, what is the next maybe if you're planning to retire in five years, three years, whatever that is, Works for that because yeah. how they fund the first deal and what lender they end up going through, all that sort of thing. Maybe that affects the next one. That makes um, a huge difference. Planning. Huge difference because some lenders will lend up to five, some lenders will not care. Like you have to know which lenders will look at what. And and like some lenders, they care more about your your income and your debt ratios. Some other lenders, like CIBC as an example, like they want to see like cash in your checking, but like as an investor, you're not going to really going to have cash in your checking. So like maybe you'll take it from a HELOC, put it in your checking snapshot, <laughs> put it back. I didn't say those guys, yeah. um, but you know, at the end of the day, it, this is why I, I say don't go to the bank directly because every lender will have different criterias and they're going to also look at your whole portfolio. Um, and, and some will say, nope, sorry, you're too big for us. And you might've missed the best spots with them if you had started with them first. So this is why like a mortgage broker will, will have a pulse on that whole thing. Yeah. And what I was going to say there was that, um, you know, the question was, are you refinancing through traditional ways? But I think a lot of times people misunderstand that. And I think that the most important thing to consider is that any kind of leverage is better than no leverage. If you bought something with cash and you can go to a private lender, you're still going to do better than having all cash into the deal. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and that might be sort of more what he's asking, I think for some reason. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you're right. So, so run the numbers, right? I mean, private first mortgages right now are maybe not as expensive as they used to be two years ago. Um, and you've got to run, run your cash flow numbers and you also have to look at your exit strategy um, as well, for sure. No, absolutely. Great answer, though. That like, I mean, all of this stuff is is stuff that people need to consider for sure. Um, what's the next one here? So, uh, you let's talk about all the things that you've got going on inside real estate investing that uh, maybe aren't just to do with buying properties. You've got you've got a podcast. You've got the uh, Right Club Investor Club that you've started. Talk about. I guess let's talk about the Right Club first. Yeah, so we started the Right Club uh, about four years ago. It's R-E-I-T-E, -E, uh, Real Estate Investing Training and Education. It's actually gone national now. We are virtual. And it's essentially a place where you can get webinars, uh, education, podcasts, forums, uh, lots of you know connections to other investors. And we used to do uh, live events in Burlington prior to COVID and we get, you know, three to 350 attendees each time, but we've, you know, pivoted and, and gone online and now it's actually coast to coast. So it's uh, right. So currently we're, we're doing two webinars a month. Um, we are going to be moving to every single week just because we're going to be doing different regions as well. Um, and that's gone well. I mean, you know, it's, it's important for us to be able to share Canadian real estate content because there's a lot of American stuff. It's quite different, as you know, um, but we want to bring the information to people. And I mean, it's free, so you might as well you might as well tune into it. Um, and, and, uh, you know, essentially the right club also has a podcast as well. If, uh, if you guys listen to podcasts, which you probably do, if you're listening to this, where can they, uh, where can our listeners or viewers find the information on, on the right club or the, the podcast? Yeah. The right club is the right club.com, uh, or we're on Instagram, right club. And then the podcast we're on like Stitcher and, and Apple podcasts and all that stuff. So that's, uh, you can find the right club there. And then my other podcast is called where should I invest? which you can find on Apple. You can probably Google my name or you can Google the title either. Um, and it's on Stitcher and a few other things like that. So we like to try and stay real and we like to provide Canadians, like you were saying, with a, a lot of useful information, right? That they can actually take and, and use and apply. So let's talk about some challenges that you've had. Some real challenges that, um, you know, aren't just... 
I feel like mindset is a big thing that people say that, you know, they, they've had to overcome a certain mindset, but uh, if we wanted to talk about sort of nuts and bolts challenges that you've had, what would one of them be? Yeah. I mean, I, I think originally was just not having the right team, um, not having the right team of realtors. Like we were working with a great guy, but he was from Ogaville, uh, back in the day. And, you know, had we built the proper team, I think we would have scaled faster, um, going to the bank directly. That was a mistake too. In the beginning, we had three with a, a big bank and then we had to untangle the mess because it wasn't the right bank to start with. Um, and then, you know, I'll tell you, you know, mindset is obviously important, but like shit happens. And I, sorry, I don't know if I can say that on, on here, but it happens like last week, like literally I had, um, so with that big windstorm, um, tree branch knocked over all the power lines and then our like box that was on the power hydro box ripped off the uh the siding as well on our house so we have like a bunch of siding missing and then that box hit the neighbor's car so my tenant called me and she's like i've had better days <laughs> but uh, you know and, and that was a three thousand dollar fix um so things like that will happen this is why you know including maintenance uh and capex and all of those things into your cash flow calculations is going to be really important um yeah it sucks but you know it is what it is i mean we had a, a twenty thousand dollar mistake uh, a few houses back where the seller actually had boarded up the entire attic so we couldn't go and actually inspect it and when uh, our tenants complained, they ended up moving out, um, you know, because we had to we had to essentially take the ceiling down. They didn't want to be there for that. There's black mold, vermiculite, asbestos. Anyways, they, you know, $20,000 fix. Um, so th there will be things like that. I, I think, uh, you know, what you see on Instagram and what you see uh, on, on social media. I mean, it's great. Yes, it's awesome real estate, but like there's still going to be the ups and downs. And there's going to be a lot of little problems that I think, you know, it'll either make or break you, um, you know, having, um, you know, family rent, you know, and I have to be careful how I say this, but we had to burr the house a second time um, based on what it was, what it was left um, at the end. So again, you just have to look at, you know, what you're mixing. And um, when it comes to renting to friends and family, I just would just suggest that you you just don't do it. Um, we're okay. <laughs> we're okay now. But there's many times that I'm like, how are you moved out and your stuff is still in our house for 23 days? Like this would never ever happen if it was another another tenant and we would not allow this. So just little things um, like that. And then you know I, I will say like especially if you're doing renos like there is going to be something like issues with the city and getting permits and, and the delay, like there's always going to be crap. Um, and, and you just have to, you just have to keep going with it and just keep, you know, looking ahead and, uh, but just, just know it happens. I think the big takeaway there is that, yeah, like those are challenges. Um, you know, when you look at it long-term, the renovations, the tenants and toilet stuff doesn't even compare to your first your first point, which was building the right team and, and, and structuring things properly to go forward is far mm -hmm. more important than these. They are going to be hurdles, but I think that that's more how a lot of people tend to look back on them. These renovation issues and tenant issues are more just a hurdle that they've had to get over where the other ones are, are very significantly more important when you look long-term to build what you're trying to build. Right. Absolutely. So thank you. Good points. Uh, what do you do to help? Uh, you have some programs there to help uh, investors and help them get, get going or get, get things, uh, get things going better. How do, how do you help them out? And what are some of those programs like? Yeah, absolutely. Well, right. I have the, my screening process, essentially I put into video and in all of my documents that's available uh, on my website. So it's like all my screening out measures and how I screen my tenants and find them and, um, it is a process. So that's available. I am doing starting January. I'm actually going to do this over 12 months. I, I find that if you just take a class for one day, it, it goes in your head and then it goes out, right? And then life happens. So I'm actually doing a whole 12 month uh, program. It's actually going to be called the Burr Freedom Community. And it's going to be affordable. It's going to be a bigger group, but we're going to go through each step in, in a lot of detail. I'm going to provide some of the documents I have. Um, it's going to be two calls that are live. 
every single month. Uh, one is only going to be on a Tuesday evening and one is a Thursday evening, second Tuesday, third or third or fourth Thursday. Anyways, it's on the, it's on the website. Um, and that's starting in January. And then it's going to be also an intro to some of my team members. So this one of the calls is going to be um, talking to contractors um, and some Q&A. And then the other call is going to be like the content, right? You know, what to look for when you're renovating, how to spot deals, how to make offers. So we're going to go through all of that stuff over over 12 whole months. And uh, that's on sarahlarby.com. Is that where they go to find out that info? Yeah, like I think it might be up starting next week. Um, the, the screening stuff is up right now. And then the community, I, I think I'm going to start launching it next week or, or like in the next 10 days or so. That's exciting. That'll be a cool uh, cool venture. So looking forward to seeing more of that. Um, it's helping people do the burst strategy, which um, a lot of people want to do. It's really intriguing. And it it's quite a decent amount of work once you get into it. And, and renovation part especially. Um, you don't necessarily need to be you don't necessarily need to be there all the time, but you need to kind of have an understanding of what's going on, right? To make some decisions. Yeah. Well, well worth it. I mean, you know, during the rentals, like it can get stressful, but I look back and I'm like the sacrifices I made for the last seven years is well worth it. Cause now I don't have to work a job anymore. Is there, are you going to continue doing the, what's it look like now going forward for you? Are you going to continue doing the burst strategy? Or are you adding in, um, I don't know, do you add in flips or do you add in like after now you're kind of retired, quote unquote, what does the does the strategy change? Are you still going to do the same sort of structure to your deals, or what's that look like? Yeah, so I mean, I'm still doing the birth strategy. I am uh, looking at joint venturing as well. Um, again, because I don't have a T4 income, and I can you know help somebody learn along the way and and get into the market. Um, I've oh, I've opened that option, and I am going to start looking at multifamily because I can still self-finance the multifamily. So I'm doing that. I, I'd love to find another cottage. They're impossible to find. Um, but you know, I'm, I still want to scale. I, I don't necessarily need to do 50 deals a year. I, I, ideally, I'd like to you know, enjoy Thursday to Sunday as my, my off days, <laughs> ideally. So again, I, you know, the right club is still a passion of mine and, and the podcast is still a passion of mine. Um, and I do intend to scale. I also, you know, it's, it's a hard market right now. So you've got to be patient. And, you know, if I, if I don't get something in the next couple months, then, you know, I'm sure I'll get something in three or four more months. And I'm just not going to be competing in 10 offer, uh, you know, deals where it doesn't make sense anymore. So I'm, I'm always looking, I'm, I'm just not going to be stupid with what I buy. Can I ask you, Sarah, since you've started, um, since you retired, how have you done with your time management? Has that been a struggle? You know, for the first two weeks, I was just as busy because every call I've moved for the first two weeks. But now what I've done is everything for the right club is like Mondays. My podcasts are Mondays, so I've time blocked everything. Uh, I started like like fitting in the stuff that I want to do, like working out. So I'm going to like work out twice today, you know, um, that kind of stuff. And has it been a struggle? No, I don't think so. I mean, I've, as long as like you start first putting the stuff that's important. So like my like girls, like monthly brunch is important, like hanging out with, you know, my friends is important. So like that gets scheduled first uh, and then everything else comes after. But I find that for me, I just don't want to do a podcast, you know, on a Monday and a Friday and a Sunday. Like I'd rather, you know, if I'm hosting them, just have them all in one day and then they're done. Um, so, you know, something I've been, I've been working on with my calendar and I just I schedule my workouts first and, and my outings first and then the rest comes. Yeah. Perfect. I think that's a really good tip that, that people need to listen to too. If, if you like, because I mean, that's something I've struggled with. I'll be honest. It's very difficult for me and it's, and I mean, I've got the kids and my wife and uh, the rest of the family and everything else going on. And. I tend to be like when somebody reaches out because they need me, I'll, I'll try and be there. So I put all my other stuff on pause to go and look after this. And, and I've found that like, because I wasn't prepared, I guess, to have my own schedule and to sort of block out that time that was important that it just didn't get done. So I really like that you've said that you block out all of those things that need to be done first and then the rest of the stuff can fill in. Yeah. And I will also say that like delegating is so important. Like literally like I delegate snow removal, like gardening, cleaning, cooking, 
Um, I've got some VAs for my podcast. I don't, you know, edit my own podcasts. I've got somebody that helps me with the branding strategy stuff. So if, if you can figure out how to bring people on your team to, to do the stuff that you don't enjoy doing, or maybe the stuff that they could be more efficient at doing, then it just frees up more time. And I'll, I'll tell you, like, you know, I've, I've been doing this for, for a couple months. I, I think it also helps that like, we're also in, in COVID and in the pandemic right now. So there's not like as many like live things to go to. Um, so ask me again, like when things return back to normal, maybe, and then there's more, more events and more, <laughs> more networking things. And I'll probably be out a lot more doing those things, but yeah. Well, I guess the reason that I brought it up was because you said, ideally you'd like to have Thursday, I think to Sunday, you said, as yeah. day but if you do not schedule those as days off, it will true. not happen. That's so true. You, you have to do it. Um, if that's what your, if that's what your goal is, then that's what you have to schedule in. So yeah, I really am envious of your goal. Uh, <laughs> one day, one day I'll get there. So uh, let's just talk about what you, what, what would be your biggest tip for somebody just starting out? I mean, I, I think just educating you know, podcasts, webinars, networking groups is going to be the first thing. And if you want to add a coach and a mentor that would help you scale faster and do it better and make less mistakes. Um, and, I, and I think just going out there and applying what you've learned. I mean, the, the fact that I have a podcast right now is literally because I went to, a, um, you know, that Tony Robbins event that they had like a couple years ago. And it was like that wealth, that wealth, I don't know, I can't remember what it was called, but it was this big event. And I ended up buying this like podcasting thing for like 500 bucks. And I'm like, well, I spent it. I might as well start a podcast. <laughs> That's how the podcast got started. Um, but, you know, it goes back to taking action and implementing it. And then just always being able to have um, that going forward attitude because like life gets in the way and other things get in the way and work will get in the way. Um, so not letting that stuff get in the way of your ultimate goals. And, and that, and I see that happening a lot, right? They're all, people get all gung ho. Maybe they read rich dad, poor dad, and you know, whatever else. They, and they're like, okay, I want to do this. And then there's always like a reason or a, an excuse and, you know, be resourceful. So, ha you know, if you don't have money, if you don't have a job, like, you know, there are other things you can do. Yeah. It's going to be harder, right? I'm not going to say it's going to be as easy as if you, you can, you know, you equity, use some equity from your HELOC or your, your home and, and you've got a steady job to get started, but there's always a way. And if you don't know, then, you know, find somebody that can help you. Um, and then the other thing I would just say, and I know you asked me for one thing, but the other thing I would say is, you know, look at the five people that you hang out with the most. And if they are watching Netflix and, you know, are going to be in the same position in five or 10 years from now, or not where you want to be, then add a couple people that have, you know, more than you, that, whether it's time, whether it's freedom, whether it's wealth, whether it's health, like whatever that is, because you are the, the, you know, the average of the five people that you spend the most amount of time with other than your family. So upgrade, I'm not saying to get rid of the ones that you like, and you've been friends for a long time, but you might want to upgrade a couple. Good, good, good advice. Uh, I was, I was about to say, I was going to ask a question um, about, because you obviously stuck to a plan. I, I'm sure you had some sort of a plan to uh, get yourself out of the the rat race there in in a, in a fairly quick amount of time, um, and I think a lot of that comes down to avoiding. I was kind of laughing because I was going to say avoiding kind of shiny object syndrome things like that, avoiding like sticking to the plan, which I think you've done overall uh, from my perspective. Um, and then you then you went on the I bought the five hundred dollar thing at the event, and that was a bit of a maybe shiny object syndrome, but that's that's okay. That was probably part of your plan in some way. And you know what? The podcast is actually the best thing I've ever done. Like if I had to like pick one one thing that I'm like the most proud of, it's being able to help others and teach others Canadian real estate content. But I will tell you, if you start a podcast and you guys would know this, there's a lot of opportunity that come your way. You're creating a brand, you're creating a name. If ever I need money, I've got money. If I ever I need a JV, I've got it. I mean, there's I mean, there's tons of opportunity, but it, you know, and it it just opens up a lot of doors. Um, and I would say that like looking back, yeah, it was, I figured I, I paid for it and I'm going to go do, do it because I, I take that action, but it, it opened up way more doors than I would have ever imagined. You know what? I feel like that's a common theme too for a lot of people is that, I mean, I mean, people that don't understand coaching necessarily, like you can, yes, you can get the same information most likely from listening to podcasts. But if you commit yourself to a coach, you spend a bunch of money on a coach, right? You're in their program. 
now you've got a responsibility to yourself and your family and that money you've spent to make it work, to make it, you know, to, to have results from that. So when you bought the, when you bought the uh, podcast kit, you're not just like, well, I'm just going to throw it in the closet. I don't know what I was thinking. You said, okay, well, no, I, I bought this. I'm going to use it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that's great. Thanks. What else, Rob? What what motivates you to keep going on all this stuff? What, what's the next like exciting thing in, in, in your world that you're working towards? I think retirement's a huge thing to hit. Um, a lot of people retire and then they're like, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do now. What else is going on in your life that you're excited about? You know, I, I always wanted to be a snowbird and get out of here, at least for January and February. Um, you know, once, once things get lifted again, that is the plan is to not have, I, I despise the cold and I, and I just can't do winter. So <laughs> the goal was always to be able to retire. So I don't have to be here during the cold. Granted, obviously with the pandemic and stuff, there's, you know, different issues, but once things open up again, I, I intend to enjoy my summer year round. Um, that's big. And then just like being able to, to help our families too, you know, like, um, we didn't, necessarily grow up with like a ton of stuff and like Matt's parents, um, you know, we got to take them on a trip, you know, a couple years ago, their first trip of their lives. Like that was really cool too. Um, you know, and, and so I, I think it's just a, a, about keeping those connections because, you know, money comes and goes and your relationships will stay and you don't want to be so focused on building your wealth and building your portfolio that everything falls apart around you. And then when you're, you're there, you have nobody to go to, you've got no friends left, you've got no family left. So um, I, you know, I, I think part of what I want to do now is just be able to enjoy that freedom that I've created um, and still scale, but not like do it to the extent that I'm going to be working 80 hours a week either. Um, I think like a good, like, 20 hours <laughs> is good. 20 hours, give or take. And then I can figure out who I can delegate the rest to. So I think a lot of people are going to want to reach out to you to find out how to work 20 hours a week and a bunch <laughs> of real estate. So that's maybe a good, a good trigger to let people know how they can, how they can reach out to you best and, and get in, involved in any of these things that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, they can go to my website, sarahlarby.com. Uh, or I'm on Instagram, investor, Sarah Larby. I'm not really on Facebook that much. I still have to figure out how to use it, <laughs> but I, I figured out Instagram for the most part. Um, and uh, otherwise they can send me an email, which is Sarah at sarahlarby.com. Very good. Thanks, Sarah. I really appreciate everything you've shared today. Thanks very much for having me on guys. It was uh, so much fun. Yeah. 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 Happy to have you and hopefully we can have you back again sometime. Anytime. Just let me know. We'll do the snowbird. We can snowbird. now. We can. <laughs> we'll do the snowbird story when they when they get there, or maybe before. But what what, uh, what locations do you have your sights on for the winter? I really want to do Costa Rica. I think next. Very cool. All right, uh, Sandy. How can people get in touch with you? Sandy at McKayRealtyNetwork might be the best, or two eight nine three eight nine six eight four six. And anyone that wants to reach out can reach me at rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you next time.